Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the PAC Audiology Podcast. Joining me today I have Andrew Potts for the, from the Alzheimer's Society. Hi Andrew, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. You? I'm not too bad, thank you very much. Um, thank you for joining us. What I thought we'd do is just give our listeners a bit of an insight into who you are and what sort of work you do for the Alzheimer's Society. So do you want to give us a little bit of a um, uh, a little bit of an insight into who Andrew Potts actually is. Yeah, well, I've been with the Alzheimer's Society since early 2016, and I'm yeah. one of the associate trainers. And in that time, I've been delivering lots of uh, dementia training consultancy in places like um, we've been. In, I've been in care homes, hospitals, been trained in training police forces, leisure centres, banks, building societies, wildlife trusts, um, social worker teams. So anybody and everybody who might come into contact with people with dementia, either. Wow. At the later stages when they need you know full-time care in a care home or they're, they're in a hospital for a short period of time or if they're customers with people customers with dementia who might be accessing banks or accessing you know the outer the, out, the wider world wow and how did you get involved in that because obviously it's quite a it's quite an interesting topic and topic and it's quite a quite an up-and-coming topic particularly for those patients who suffer with dementia but also have a hearing loss as well I know that clinicians are always trying to find ways to support those patients but for yourself how did you get involved with working with the Alzheimer's Society? Well I was I was sort of headhunted for their their associate training team when I when I became freelance I became okay. freelance and I went for an interview with the Alzheimer's Society for a different job and I didn't, didn't get the job but then their director of training and consultancy formed me up and said he wanted me to be their, one of their, their associate trainers and that was because I'd been made redundant. I was working in for a big care home company and I was covering about uh, 50 care homes in the south of England doing dementia training and mentoring and leadership but I got made redundant from that post so I decided to go freelance. And how have you found going out to train other people? Because from what you've said, you know, it's not just healthcare professionals that you do go out and offer support to and offer training to. You also obviously, you know, look at the police force and, you know, look at leisure centres and places like that. How do you find going out to speak to these people or to offer them that, that level of training and support? You always find that different customer groups are, are different. They have different expectations about what you're about to deliver. They have different levels of knowledge about, about dementia and what living with dementia might mean. Um, my bread and butter is these care homes, and I've done that eight years previous to joining the Alzheimer's Society. But um, And you always find that care homes are, are much easier to train because yeah. that knowledge base tends to be there. Uh, but yeah, every customer group is, is, is different. Wow. So what sort of what sort of thing will you be talking to us? Or what sort of topic will you be talking to us about when you join us at our virtual conference in a couple of weeks time? Well, the topic you've asked for is about how audiology clinicians can monitor and assess memory problems in people with dementia, memory problems and cognition, which is really difficult to achieve, to be honest. Even clinicians and psychiatrists struggle. Clinicians yeah. and psychiatrists have, have a set of tests, a set of questions that they ask people with dementia. Yeah. But even these questions, even if you use different models and a variety of these these questions none of these systems are foolproof yeah and it depend on how the person is at the day if you put them in a strange environment that can impact upon the results um, but yeah we're going to talk about we're going to talk about dementia we're going to talk about what that means we're going to do um, talk about tips on communication we're going to look at how you can assess through conversation uh, levels of memory and cognition 
and hopefully then the the audiology clinician can can get a good idea as to you know is, is this person confused and difficulty following what i'm saying because of a hearing difficulty or, or is it could it possibly be dementia or could it be something else because we'll talk about what other things can cause memory problems confusion that are, are not permanent that are not dementia i guess it's such a gray area because i know um, from my time in clinic, there were a few patients that had come in to see us and they'd say, you know, oh, my my GP or my doctor is uncertain as to whether I've got dementia or whether I've got a hearing loss. And I know that sometimes the lines can become a little bit blurred. So for our clinicians, I think it will be a great eye opener into, you know, what sort of support they can offer those patients that have definitely had that diagnosis of, of Alzheimer's or dementia. And I think it will definitely give us a bit of a, a bit of an insight into how we can support those patients, which is obviously is part of part of our job role, you know, to to be able to provide the best possible care to those patients that we see in our clinic room. Yeah, and if a patient coming to the coming to the clinic has already had a diagnosis of dementia, that makes it all the more easy because then you can be honest about it. You can ask questions. How is your memory? What do you have difficulty remembering? Um, do you get confused? When do you get confused? Is it particular situations? And that way you, you can, the clinician get a, a more thorough understanding of, of, of how far the dementia might progress since perhaps yeah. they accessed other services. And then perhaps the clinician can think about signposting them to, to support groups or voluntary organisations that might support people with dementia or social services perhaps or domiciliary care providers, depending yeah. on where that person is in their, in their dementia journey. If the person has not had a diagnosis of dementia and not even gone to their GP, because to be honest, many of us, for various reasons, sometimes put off going to our GP when we have issues. Yeah. The person might be denying that. They might realise there's something wrong, but they might be denying it to everyone else. So you might have to be quite diplomatic and, yeah. and build up that rapport before you ask the person about, you know, do you have memory issues, etc. Yeah, and I guess that's the really that's the difficult question that to ask, isn't it? When there's when there's not been a confirmed diagnosis, how would you go about asking a patient, do you have memory memory problems or have you suffered with any memory loss problems? Because I can I can imagine a lot of patients might be might feel a little bit defensive when they yeah. get asked that question. They might feel like, you know, they either they don't want to acknowledge the fact that they may have had memory problems or you know sometimes there's that stigma around well all older people will end up having memory problems or having memory loss issues and I, I know that it sometimes clinicians can feel like it's a very it, it's a very tricky topic to navigate through. Yeah and sometimes you, you, you can be you can go about it different ways through the conversation. So, for example, you could say to the person that you suspect might have memory issues, you could say, you know, what day is it today? I'm, I'm confused. Every day is the same. And I'm confused with what's been going on in society at the moment. And I've lost track yeah. of days. I've sat with people with dementia and I've said things like when they've asked me what what time, what, what day it is or what, what month it is. Sometimes I've, I have been confused myself and I've said, oh, I'm not sure. Let me think about it. Yeah. And they'll say, they'll laughingly say to me and I'm, I'm being honest there and they'll say, oh, you're as bad as me, you are. So you yeah. could start it that way. You could start about, you know, conversation about or you could say things like uh, or I can't always remember things like I used to. My memory is not what it used to be. Because yeah, we, so we all have issues where we all have that, that case where you walk upstairs and you know what you're going for. and You get to the top of the stairs and, and you definitely know what you've gone for. Yeah. 
and you can use that as sort of an intro to talk about you know will I do this or sometimes I come out of a, a football game or a concert and I don't know where the car's parked and I have to really think about it or we have to have a walk around and these are normal things and the person then might be more likely to open up about issues they have. Yeah, so I mean, like you say, they're all pretty much things that most people deal with on a day-to-day basis. I know sometimes I'll put I'll put something down, um, and we'll have seen it one minute, and then we'll have gone back to look for it, and can't for the life of me remember where I've where I've placed that thing. And I guess you're right in thinking in you're right in saying sorry that you know that that's a good conversation opener with a patient if you suspect you know that they might have memory loss or memory concerns or you know memory problems. I guess it's learning what tools are going to be most appropriate for the patient that you have in front of you and obviously every patient is going to be different um and teaching our or supporting our clinicians to know that actually if you have a variety of tools to deal with this sort of situation you can then pick and choose what's going to be most appropriate for that person that's in front of you yeah yeah i guess you touched upon it just briefly in the in the conversation that we were having um the hot topic at the minute which is uh, coronavirus mm-hmm. so how has that impacted the work that you do so what challenges have you faced with obviously i'm assuming you've not been able to go out and travel and uh, train as you may have done pre-covid so what sort of challenges have you faced and how have you adapted to overcome that o- overcome those well since 15th of march that was my last no 16th of march was my last day of work with alzheimer's society yeah. and since then everything was everything was put on hold um and since then i've had i've had one and a half days of private work um but that's been it there's been there's been nothing the alzheimer's society are trying as, as many training companies are they're trying to uh, switch to virtual training yeah and they're asking customers if they would like virtual training. But the issue is that I guess the people who are going to receive virtual training might not be in the office. Yes. Or they're, yeah. they're busy doing other things or, or certain staff are, are off on, on leave or or because they're, they're isolating. And that means there's there's less staff, you know, in the crew as, as there normally would be, which makes it more difficult to get people to actually attend virtual training. It's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, like, whilst I know that coronavirus has had a massive impact on pretty much everyone from whatever age group you're from, it, I know that it's been particularly hard for those patients who are hard of hearing or who potentially have dementia because they'll have that that increased social isolation, you know, where they're maybe not able to to, to go to any support groups or be able to see family members. So I guess it must be quite a difficult time for, for those people in particular um, because obviously their normal routine has been has been massively changed in order to protect them from becoming further further ill, I guess. Or yeah, and people in the community with dementia are going to have become more socially isolated. They might not have been able to meet yeah. up with friends, with social groups. They might not have been able to go to to luncheon clubs to get a, a meal if they have difficulty providing for themselves. Um, carers will have been popping in if they access carers services. Carers will have been popping in with with masks and gloves maybe which is further confusing the person might be thinking you know what's wrong with me have I got something why are they doing this and then the carer has to explain every time they come in why are they doing this and it's it's now normal procedure but it's still going to be disconcerting isn't it yeah and most definitely 40 percent of people with dementia in the UK also experience depression yeah which is going to be have a knock-on effect and that might lead to people experiencing anxiety and other mental health issues so yes, it's it's going to have been a very difficult time for for our older our older generation. 
Yeah, most definitely. And I think, you know, in the professions that we're in, you know, all we want to do is is care for these people and, and try and support and help them. And when that becomes a, bit, a little bit more difficult to do, it really does make you realise how much help you are providing to these people when you actually can't do that anymore. Yeah. And I think, you know, I know when I was when I was working in clinic, you know, it was it was a it's a rewarding job to be able to help somebody here again or, you know, point them in the direction of a support group and I know that if I was in clinic now it would I would definitely be struggling with the fact that I haven't got that same level of interaction with my customers or my patients or you know so I I guess for yourselves um, and for any you know charities or support groups or societies out there that that help with, with something like this it's got to be a very difficult time for them. Yeah, and I, I I can do sessions via Zoom or Teams or other other media, but there's nothing like getting in the car and going somewhere and, and yeah. to a new place, a new venue, meeting new people and doing a course that that's maybe bespoke for them or, or has to be tweaked, you know, for them as as a as a team. There's nothing that beats that that day to day interaction. And I guess as trainers, you know, I remember when I was working in the NHS and we did our dementia friendly training um, and it was a it was a group exercise that we did. And I remember speaking to the trainer at the time. This is going back a few years now. And they were like, it's it's really rewarding when you see people, you know, light up in, in the with the with the idea of, you know, oh, I've learned something today. And I know that when I go into clinic tomorrow, I can implement that into my clinic. And I know I've got the, the perfect patient that I would want to speak to about what I've been taught today and I guess for you guys it's so difficult to do that or have that over Zoom or Teams because you can see whilst you can see people face to face it sometimes can be very difficult to keep and pe- keep people engaged over a virtual platform as opposed to a face-to-face uh, training session. Yeah it makes it difficult to do group exercises and then and so the groups can't sort of sit together and then exchange ideas um, everybody's going to have, have got their own life, so they might not be able to be in a place that is quiet all the time. They might have pets or children coming in or family members or roadworks outside or they could have anything, anything everything happening, which is going to further distract everybody else. Yeah, I most definitely have been in a few of those situations myself. Um, it sounds like you do a fantastic job with the Alzheimer's Society, and I know that we're really excited to see uh, your presentation um, at the PAC uh, online conference in a couple of weeks. I guess, you know, you sound like you're doing an amazing job already, but if I said to you, you could do any job in the world, any job whatsoever, what would you do? Oh, that's difficult. I'm, I'm 46 now and I still don't know what I want to do in my life. Okay. <laughs> so this this dementia sort of, I sort of stumbled into it through a variety of, of circumstances. Um, so I don't know. I'd, I'd like to, it, ideally, I'd, I'd like to um, be the CEO of a care company who yeah. could provide free healthcare to everybody accessing it. Because I think the danger in, in health and social care at the moment is, particularly when it comes to care homes, the, the gap between, you know, the the, the posh plush care homes yeah. and the ones where um, the majority of, of people on a, on a low or middle income will end up is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think the day will come when most people in the UK can't afford the 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 all singing, all dancing care home. Yeah. And I don't know as a society what we're going to do about that. So it sounds like you'd stick with that healthcare 
type of role then? Yeah, yeah. That's a make change to make a difference. Oh, that's fantastic. And I guess for those people out there that are still uncertain as to what career path they'd like to go like to go through, I think this just shows them that actually you don't need to have it all figured out. Um, oh you no, know, still not got it figured out. Yeah, and I, I think that's great. I mean, it just means that you can you can try your hand at lots of different things and find your perfect fit. Yeah, I started off working in mental health as a support worker and then stumbled into mental health advocacy and then dementia advocacy, then dementia management and then dementia training and then working for different care home companies and then freelance. So it was all sort of, a, you know, opportunities came up and I, I took the opportunities that led me to where I am. I think that's fantastic and obviously now you're now you're going to be presenting for for our clinicians or to our clinicians which I think you know they'll be lucky to to hear some of the things that you have to say um if I could ask you to give us one piece of advice to anyone who's either starting out in the profession of of hair care or starting out in the profession of of health what piece of advice would you give I think obviously you've got to you've got to like people you've got to be interested in people um you sort of welcome the diversity that people bring because everybody's different. Everybody's an individual. Um, yeah. Every conversation is, is different and, and you've got to be caring and you've got to want to make people's lives better. And you've got to want to make it so that that person leaves with, you know, with a pleasant feeling, with that they feel good about the interaction that they've had. They feel good about the service that they've had. And whether that may be you work in a shop or a hotel or you're a, a GP or a surgeon or a trainer or an audiologist it's about how we make people feel isn't it it's about how how we treat people yeah you know, make them feel like they're an actual person as opposed to a yeah. number so yes yeah. we, we've all been in shops for example when you walk out of the shop and you think that person who served me should not work in a shop yes most definitely yeah and there's other shops you come out of and you didn't expect you it looked a bit grotty and it didn't look very posh but you had to go in there for something you come out feeling feeling good because the person who served you made you feel special yeah oh, I, I think that's a fantastic piece of piece of advice and i know that there will be clinicians that are listening to this that can definitely say that they uh that that's a really key thing for for us as a as professionals particularly as audiologists mm. um so thank you for that and thank you i guess for joining us and taking some time out of your diary to be able to to join us on today's podcast um it gives us a bit of an insight into what we can expect to hear from you in a couple of weeks time um and it just gets people excited to to work with the alzheimer society because like i say there'll be a lot of patients that we see a lot of clinicians that will want to to have a bit of support or will want to know who to go to if they needed some support um, in dealing with some of those difficult difficult situations or difficult conversations that they might need to have with patients. So thank you very much, Andrew. We really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Pleasure. Okay. No worries. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you.